Hello, everybody, and welcome into another episode here of Home Field Advantage. My name is Will Island. I hope you're all having a great week or weekend, wherever and however you may be listening to this program across our great country or our great land. We are in the thick of April. We've talked at length over the last few weeks about the NHL and NBA playoffs, which we'll touch on as it pertains to our local clubs quickly at the end. We've talked about Major League Baseball and its updates with regard to rule changes. We've talked about the NFL draft last week. And so we've hit in the Masters the week before that. And we've talked with Michael about soccer and Diesel about all kinds of things. But today, I am going to have a little bit of a short show. Um, And mostly, if you're listening after Sunday afternoon, you will have found out the outcome of the Bruins game. You'll probably know about the Celtics outcome. And and so I'm not going to spend a ton of time talking about those two things. Where I do want to begin is with some pieces of news that happened over the weekend. And I very much like to stay current and talk about current events. Um, but I also don't just want to regurgitate what you can find on ESPN or Bleacher Report or whatever uh, throughout the course of a week. At the same time, though, there comes a time when, or there comes a point when the sports news is almost so complicated that it's actually easier for someone like myself to simply just read from an ESPN article. So that's what I'm going to do right here um, as it pertains to this lead story that I think a lot of you guys have heard of and might have strong opinions of. And that is that four NFL players uh, from the Detroit Lions plus a player from the Washington Commanders were suspended this week for violating the league's gambling policy. And I have an opinion on this matter. It's an opinion that I've shared with Michael as recently as, you know, three or four weeks ago. And it's an opinion that I think is still in a little bit of a minority among sports fans. And then that discussion will lead us into another current event that I'll get to uh, before we move on and talk playoffs. So where I want to begin is with this ESPN story um, that I'll read from in which four Detroit Lions players and one Washington Commander player were suspended. And this isn't the first time this has happened. If you remember, Calvin Ridley was suspended last season for an entire year, could not play for the Falcons all year long because he too violated the league's policy on gambling. Um, I'll get to the irony of this in a moment, but I'll begin the show by simply reading from this ESPN article written by a man named uh, Eric Woodyard. Um, I don't know much about him, but I would suspect that he covers Detroit sports for ESPN. So I'll read from this. If you're watching on YouTube, I'm going to be looking away for a second. If you're listening on audio, you won't know the difference. So this is from Eric Woodyard. It was uh, printed and, or I should say, published 
uh, Friday afternoon. It says, quote, four Lions players, including 2022 first-round pick Jameson Williams, were among five players league-wide to be suspended for violating the NFL's gambling policy after an investigation by the league. Obviously, Jameson Williams is a pretty uh, well-known player in college football, was a well-known player in college football, and similarly, a first-round draft pick by the Lions. Uh, Woodyard goes on to write, Lions wide receiver Quintez Cephas and safety CJ Moore have been suspended indefinitely for betting on NFL games, as was Washington Commander's defensive end Shaka Tony. They can reapply for reinstatement after one year, although Detroit announced that its two players had been released. So it sounds like uh, Quintez Cephas and CJ Moore had been released. Second year wide receivers. Uh, Williams, that's Jameson Williams, and Stanley Berryhill are being suspended for six games each for mobile betting that occurred at the Lions Allen Park facility. These two did not bet on NFL games, the team said. The NFL noted in its announcement, I'm still reading from Woodyard's article, that it uncovered no evidence indicating any inside information was used or that any game was compromised by the players betting. The Lions became aware of the NFL's investigation about a month ago before the league reached a final decision. As a result of the NFL investigation, it came to our attention that a few of our players had violated the league's gambling policy. This is a quote from the article in which they're quoting Detroit general manager Brad Holmes in a statement. Holmes went on to say, and when you're quoted, these players exhibited decision-making that is not consistent with our organizational values and violates league rules. We have made the decision to part ways with Quintez and CJ immediately. We are disappointed by the decision-making demonstrated by Stanley and Jameson, and will work with both players to ensure they understand the severity of these violations and have clarity on the league rules moving forward. Separate from these punishments, Several Lions staff members in various departments were dismissed last month for violating the gambling policy as well, a source told ESPN. The commanders also released a statement saying they had been made aware of the suspension of uh, Chaka Tony. Their quote, I, I won't go into the rest of the article, um, essentially it's it's just a bunch of background about the statements and um and then, you know, they're comparing it to the uh, year-long suspension that Ridley received last year. So where where do we go from here? Okay. I, I look at it. I look at it two, two ways. First, actually, I'll look at it three ways. I'll break the second way down into, you know, two different um, scopes. First, first thing that comes to mind here is, Dude, you're at work, right? Like most of us, if you're listening, you know, we have day jobs, right? We might go on Facebook at lunch or during break or when we get bored. We might, I definitely go on Twitter to look at sports news periodically um, throughout the day. I mean, you know, when I take a break or when I'm on lunch or whatever. We don't, I, I wouldn't personally think that your work is a place to do much more than that. Um, 
especially when it comes to something else that's making money for yourself, right? Like it would be an unethical work practice of me if I went to work and spent most of my workday doing work for another job or another thing that made me money. So just from a simple perspective, take gambling out of it, take the NFL out of it. If you went to your day job and you were getting paid by your employer, but yet you were doing something else that made money from somebody else was paying you to work for at work. If that makes sense, you are, you are acting unethically, right? And, you know, you wouldn't go to, you wouldn't go to your, your job. And let's say you were a copywriter, right? You wouldn't go to your job as a copywriter. And, while you were at work, be um, be writing copy for for a competitor, right? You wouldn't you wouldn't go into work and try and make money doing a conflict of interest. And look, I mean, that's not to say we all go to work. We all sometimes uh, might not be working the full time, right? But most of the time, we're not we're not engaging in in a sort of um, malpractice of our of our job duty, right? Like we're not, these guys are doing it at the team facility, right? They're, so they're at work gambling, right? So just take, take maybe my example of, you know, working for a competitor and throw that out and maybe just say, if you're at work and you're gambling at work, just say that, you know, is that an ethical work practice? If you're on the clock, and you duck out of work and go across the street to a casino. Is that a fireable offense? Yes. If you're at work and you are, you know, on your OnlyFans account, right? Is that a fireable offense? Yes. Um, so I think that's a little bit different than going on Facebook during your, you know, lunch break or when your boss isn't looking, right? Especially if you're an NFL player, we've we've seen players get suspended for stupid things they do on social media. We've seen players get in hot water, get benched for saying stupid things while they're um, while they're in front of uh, in front of their their job. Right. Wes Welker got benched for making jokes about Rex Ryan and his foot fetish. Right. Um, Antonio Brown practically got benched for taking a video in the locker room. Um, of Mike Tomlin speaking after a game. So in the same token, there's there's this just a very simple way of looking at it, that these guys were doing something at work that they shouldn't have been doing. All right, that's number one. Number two is this is a this is a natural byproduct of the hyper-infused sports gambling uh, sports gambling environment that we live in, right? Think about it. We talked about this with Michael a couple of weeks ago. You look around and all you see is advertisements for FanDuel, DraftKings, BetMGM, every single uh, sports organization that I can think of in some way, shape, or form has a uh, gambling component to or sports betting component to it right now. Nesson, 
the New England Sports Network dropped their live sports highlight show because they didn't have enough resources to to do it, supposedly. But suddenly, a few months later, they've got a live betting show. You know, we have we have a extreme, I would say, inundation of sports gambling marketing in sports. And so what message do you think that sends, right? What message do you think that sends? You know, they, they, you said in the line said in their statement that it goes against their company philosophy or whatever, or their organizational values. Well, their organizational values, I guarantee it some way, shape or form that city and excuse me, that team is aligned somehow with a sports gambling company. Is that is that an organizational value when it makes you money at the corporate box box office or whatever, or is that organizational value only uh, only enforced when one of your players does something idiotic? Right, so that's a conversation that not a lot of people want to have in the sports world because guess what? There's a lot of money involved in this for everybody for the for everyone, right? For the people like like fans who participate to the sponsors and advertisers and executives that negotiate these deals to the companies that are able to get exposure through them. It is a huge moneymaker and the NFL has made a deal with the devil. And so this is the natural byproduct of that deal. The third thing, and I think the one that I've heard that is a little bit interesting, and I heard uh, Tom Curran um, from the Patriots. Um, I say from the Patriots, from NBC Sports Boss, and he covers the Patriots. He talked about this on Friday afternoon. When you talk about having insider information, and it seems like that wasn't the case in some of these situations, but... That that has always been the decades long um, argument against sports gambling, right? Is you think about all the way back to the Black Sox scandal, or Pete Rose, or Tim Donahue, or anything like this. It's always been about competitive advantage and somebody using insider information. Because like we hate insider trading in stock in the stock market, but yet most people, most members of Congress, still find a way to do it. Um, I shouldn't say most, certain members of Congress still find a way, you know, to do it. Same thing in sports. That's one of the big question marks. But what Curran brought up is you are, as a reporter, privy to almost just as much insider information as anybody else. Like, let's say you're a beat reporter and you're in the locker room and you overhear something. You overhear a, let's say, a, a basketball player talk about how he has a, you know, a tweak in his hamstring or his quad or whatever, and he doesn't think he's going to play as much minutes the next night. That he's still going to start, but he's not going to play as many minutes. All right, you take that piece of information. It wasn't told to you on the record. It was told 
wasn't told to you in particular, you just overheard him say it to somebody else. You take that information and you're in the locker room. You're a member of the media. There's not rules about you gambling, to my to my knowledge. In, mo- in many cases, a lot of these guys have podcasts like mine that I'm doing right now that are sponsored by sports betting companies. So they're just as much in bed with it as the players are and the teams are and the clubs are, but yet they don't have the rules. And in many ways, their employers are the ones negotiating these deals, especially if they work for a uh, magazine or a TV company that relies a lot on advertising. So let's say you hear that information and this reporter goes and he learns, oh, the over-under for the amount of points that so-and-so is going to score the next night is going to be, let's say it's 16 and a half. But you know, because you overheard in the locker room that he's not going to play as many minutes as he normally does, you would bet the under. Nobody else knows that he might be dealing with a tweak. It's not in the official injury report because it's not serious enough. but. It might cause him to only play, you know, let's say 26 minutes in a game instead of 30. Then maybe you'd bet the under and that would be an inside piece of information that you would be able to bring. Right. And so that's the point that Curran brought up that I don't think a lot of people are talking about is this situation. They're fighting a war on three fronts right now. The first front is that the. You know, there's the work conflict. What are you doing at work? Should you be engaging in this at work, right? As a pro athlete, is it a conflict of interest, much like a copywriter writing copy for another company while he's at work for a different one? Is it a conflict of interest for a a pro athlete to gamble on sports? Number two. Can we even call it a conflict of interest when the organizations themselves are in bed with these gambling companies? And number three, why are members of the sports media not held to a similar standard, given that they too, while not necessarily having the uh, influence on the outcome of a game, they they have information that they're privy to that maybe others aren't privy to. And so that's this mess. That has been that has been created by sports betting, and it's something that I don't think a lot of people saw as being a problem. And look, I I feel this way. I'm I'm not really a huge sports gambling guy. I think it's going to be detrimental to sports long term. I think there was a reason why it wasn't legal for a long time. From just a simple, from just a simple perspective that being said of course states have the right to enact laws to uh for or against it not not debating that um i'm not debating that it has does have economic benefit to certain parties but i think an outcome of it is that you're going to have more situations like this they're going to continue to happen and sure the nfl is going to be able to make a Example out of guys like Jameson Williams and these other players. But the human nature is still is still not going to change. If you know that something's legal in the outer world, but your job might prohibit it, 
it you're going to find ways around it, right? Like they're going to just have their friends do it for them or their, or their spouses do it for them, or they're, uh, they're going to have ways of getting around it, having burner phones, having burner accounts. I mean, that's what's going to happen because we've unleashed Pandora's box and there's going to be some growing pains. And this is a growing pain. There's going to be these conflicts of interest that occur. For, for Pete's sake, no pun intended, Pete Rose isn't even in the Hall of Fame because of this, right? Just leave it at that. So anyway, that that's my take. And guess what? When the other news that I'm going to talk about in a second, you can read it on the wall. The Oakland A's have found land to build a new stadium in Las Vegas. Why do you think all these teams are moving to Las Vegas? Why do you think Vegas got an NHL team before Seattle, even though Seattle was probably more deserving at the time of of a team? Because these leagues want to get in bed with Vegas. Why do you think the Raiders moved to Vegas? Why do you think the NBA wants to go to Vegas? Now the Oakland Athletics are going to Vegas. The Chargers almost went to Vegas. It, it's a it's a situation where sports has decided that the real customers are the gambling companies, the sponsors, the TV executives, and the TV and the TV media conglomerates, and not people like you and me. That's what they've decided. Now, look, I love sports still. Right, I'm gonna go watch the Bruins in a little bit. You know, we got the Red Sox on. You know, I, I'm gonna watch. I'm gonna watch the Celtics maybe when they get to the next round. Trying to take it one thing at a time. I haven't watched a lot of the Celtics. You know, you guys know I'm a huge Pats guy. I've watched March. I watched March Madness. So like, I still love sports. I love golf. Watch the Premier League. But there is a time and a place where someday. The, someday we are we are not going to be able to afford to go to anything but a minor league game. In fact, that's almost on its we're almost there now. We're almost there now. Um I mean, we talked about this with Michael a few weeks ago. The amount of disposable income that Americans have is declining each and every day with inflation. And it's already expensive enough to go to a pro sporting event. This gambling obsession that sports has with with legalization of sports betting and getting in bed with these gambling companies, it's going to reach a fever fever pitch. There's going to be a moment where this bubble is going to burst. You know, look at cryptocurrency. That was something that everybody freaked out about for five or six years. And then it's it's sort of, in my opinion become kind of irrelevant compared to what it was like in 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, those years when it was at its peak. You know, it's a Trojan. Some of these things are a Trojan horse. There's going to be problems. NIL in college sports, I thought it was going to be awesome. 
it's created like an unrecognizable amount of amount of uh, transfers and the, the transfer portal and name, image, and likeness. Like, there's just it's on. It's like the wild, wild west. And in many ways, it's great because I I had never seen more parity in college basketball or college football until this past year. Live golf, same way. I mean, there's all these new things breaking off as a result of the hyper amount of money that is involved in sports. And I just hope that we as fans don't get left in the dust because you know who is getting left in the dust? People like the Oakland A's hardcore fans. I mean, the Oakland A's are a proud, were a proud franchise. Say what you want about their ridiculous stadium. But that, I mean, look through that history of that team. Ricky Henderson, Mark McGuire, Jose Cinco, Dennis Eckersley, Raleigh Fingers, Catfish Hunter. Uh, I'm forgetting a big one there. Uh, I, I can't remember. You guys know where I'm going. This team was a staple involved in some of the biggest games in the history of in the history of the sport. Right? Think of Kurt Gibson's home run or the Bay the Bay Bridge World Series or um you know I believe they they were even a three-peat World Series champion in the 1970s. Let alone Moneyball in the 21st century. They made a whole movie about this team. This was a proud MLB team. With all due respect, this wasn't the Montreal Expos moving to Washington or the Atlanta Thrashers going to Winnipeg or anything else like we've seen, or this the San Diego Chargers. This was a this is a proud MLB team that has deep history across the country in Philadelphia, in Kansas City. And the Oakland fans are being left behind, just like they were left behind by the Raiders. The the um, Warriors went across the bridge once they became a dynasty. And and what what's it for? It's at the altar of money, right? So the the fan the fans in Oakland they're getting left behind because nobody wants to fund the stadium, and the the town doesn't really care and. They feel like they the the Oakland politicians feel like they have been um, brought around the bush by the athletics because the athletics have just used them as leverage to go to Vegas all along. And why are they going to Vegas? Because of the money, because of the bed that they've made. And by they, I mean the sports, the the sports industry folks have made with. Uh, gambling companies and the casinos and all this stuff. Think about Bali Sports. All right, Barstool Sports. They sold out to Penn National Gaming. Bali Sports is a product of a gambling company. So, look, I know I'm showing a negative view of it. And I'm, I know this is an unpopular opinion. And you guys don't even have to agree with me. I, I actually welcome you to disagree with me because it brings up good dialogue. But I'm just worried about this path that we're going down. You know, everyone hated the Super League in Europe when they were talking about that because they thought, you know, it was all about money. If you ask a, if you ask a fan, most fans 
agree and they think, oh my gosh, I hate that sports is all about money and how expensive everything is. But then at the same time, we buy into it. We buy into it. We do fantasy football. We do sports betting. We do um, all these streaming services, the alphabet soup of whatever we need to do in order to watch these games because we still love it. And I guess that's the push and pull that this is ultimately talking about. Or excuse me, that we're ultimately talking about. All right. So with with regard to, (laughs) excuse me, with regard to expansion, okay. Um, let's say that Vegas we know about. Where else would the would the leagues expand? That would be good for fans, right? Not only just good for the pocketbook. We understand that the bottom line. We we get it. But where else would be good for the fans? And one thing that I think would be great for the. Uh, Major League Baseball circuit in particular, is if you had more teams in the Rocky Mountain West and more teams in the Southeast. Um, So I'll start in the Rocky Mountain West. Salt Lake would be a great place for a team. Vegas, yes, despite what I've just said the last 30 minutes, would still be a good place for a baseball team because between the 51s and the Aviators and all the other uh, AAA teams that have been there, there is a desire for the sport there much like there is in uh salt lake city if you think about the bees and all the other teams that have been there so it's definitely a good baseball market i look at i look at four cities in particular i look at two out west and i look at two in the in the southeast so the two out west i've mentioned already salt lake has a triple a franchise same thing with um with vegas i think both of those cities would be good I also think that that they would benefit from having teams out there because of the departure of the A's from Oakland. Now, if the A's went from Oakland to uh, Las Vegas, like they're looking at, then that's not really an expansion team. That's um, that's a team that's moving. But in reality, you would probably only see two expansion teams anyway because of the um, because of the fact that there's already 30 teams and you wouldn't want more than 32. I think 32 is a prime amount because you can divide it in half all the way to one um, for playoff situations and for other things like that. I've also heard rumblings. A lot of people are talking about Omaha. Um, I've heard some people talk about Portland, Oregon, um, Sacramento. I think the Sacramento, I think Sacramento Definitely has a AAA franchise. I'm not sure about Portland. Omaha has the Storm Chasers. So, and they have a beautiful ballpark already, TD Ameritrade, that would just honestly need a few cosmetic upgrades to be big enough for Major League Baseball. Um, And so that's what I see out West. So you'd probably add a team like that out West, um, in one of those cities. Vancouver would be cool, but I just don't see them doing that. Um, it'd probably be one of those four. And then here out east, a lot of people don't realize the Braves are like the only Major League Baseball team outside of Florida in the entire South. They are. I mean, the Cincinnati Reds are close. The St. Louis Cardinals are close. 
Um, you do have the Nationals and the Orioles up in the D.C. Metroplex. But outside of that, there's the Braves and then there's the teams in Florida. And I think either Charlotte or Nashville would benefit greatly from having a Major League Baseball team. Charlotte, the, the Charlotte Knights were among the most attended AAA teams in the entire circuit of the um of the international league and the pacific coast league a few years ago and that hasn't gone away even after covid same thing with the national sounds they have a beautiful ballpark now obviously there would be some upgrades that would have to happen or maybe even they would build a brand new park remains to be seen a lot of people have brought up orlando honestly i don't think florida needs another team if you look at Florida, it's just not a baseball market for the major leagues, despite the amount of good baseball players that come from Florida and the amount of interest there is in the sport uh, among its uh, Hispanic American population. Um, it's weird to see the national championship of of um of the World Baseball Classic and how fervent that was that we talked about a couple months ago. And then compare it to a Marlins game where absolutely nobody gives a crap. So I don't see Orlando really being in the mix. It's really down nationwide. It's down to Portland. Excuse me. It's down to Salt Lake City, Vegas, potentially if the A's move there, which I think they will based on the news this week. And then out east, it's down to Charlotte and Nashville. That's what I think would make the most sense. Montreal is a pipe dream, much like Quebec City is a pipe dream for the NHL. I feel like Montreal is a pipe dream for the uh, MLB. Now, over in the NBA, it's a little interesting, right? I definitely think Vegas is a team. Uh, Vegas is getting a team in the NBA. But then you'd probably need to add another team to make it work. And here's what I would propose. I would propose that they give Canada a second team. Um, or that they put a team in a place like, uh, in a place, excuse me, I'm losing my train of thought here. They put another team in the Midwest. Because if you think about Kansas and Nebraska and all these those Midwest states and how much they love basketball, I would add a I would add an NBA team in Omaha or in uh Kansas City. Um maybe even St. Louis if you could work that somehow. But I would add a I would add an NBA team in Kansas City and I would add an NBA team in um in Vegas. That's what I would do if you wanted to keep it in America. There's also been talk about potentially, you know, another team in the D.C. area if, if, you know, Baltimore got their team back or whatnot. But I would I would stick there in the in the mid middle of the country. I would also put a team in Seattle if you couldn't put one in Vancouver. Now, I just said that I would like to see Vancouver get a team in Major League Baseball. I think it's more likely that they would get an NBA team. However, at the same time, just from an arena perspective, you know, they already have where the Canucks play. But from a from an arena perspective, it's probably better for the NBA to put a team in Seattle. The Kraken just went there 
And in Seattle, the Sonics were a really hot ticket back in the day and have had some great players in their history. So really, you're looking at Vegas. You're looking at Kansas City. You're looking at maybe a place like Omaha. You're looking at Vancouver, Seattle. Um, theoretically, a Seattle team would draw fans from Vancouver as well, uh, basketball fans from British Columbia. So that's what I see um, in the in the landscape of expansion teams. But again, it's hard to look at all this stuff from just one guy sitting in a room in Maine. Um, but I'd be curious to hear what you guys all think. Maybe I'll drop it out on Instagram in a post for you guys all to participate in. All right, moving on. Lastly, want to do a quick Celtics and Bruins check-in before we wrap up the pod here. Um, Celtics, new sense is they won their first two games uh, against the Hawks. They were able to really quiet down Atlanta. Trey Young um, and, and company did, did not have firepower in the first two games to take care of the Celtics. However, in game three, they did. And this comes off the news that Malcolm Brogdon won sixth man of the year um, for the Celtics. And look, I, I still think the Celtics are going to win this series. I think they'll probably even win it in five. Um, I think maybe that was a wake-up call they needed, much like the Bruins needed a wake-up call in game two against the Panthers. We'll get to that in a second. But I, I think the Celtics are playing, still playing pretty well, um, even though game three didn't go well for them. I think they'll be able to shake it off. My one concern with the Celtics is they have been streaky all season. Their wins, they've been able to string together a lot of wins, but their losses, sometimes they'll randomly just lose two in a row. And if you lose two in a row, then you got a game, then you got a game five in Atlanta still. Right. And so that that's what scares me a little bit. Um, things could go wrong here, uh, down there. And if you're a Celtics fan, I, I would look at your usual suspects. You're likely going to get a good game from Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown again in this series. Probably one of them is going to have a monster game before it's all said and done. Similarly, I think you're going to get a game where a guy like Grant Williams or Peyton Pritchard just freaks out. I, I mean that that's what has happened. If you look at the if you look at the Celtics playoff run last year, it was yep. We know that the Jays are going to play well. We know that Smart is going to play well, um, but you know maybe Time Lord will freak out and have a great game with a lot of rebounds. Maybe Pritchard or Grant Williams or um, uh, oh gosh. This uh, my my lack of Celtics knowledge is is uh, is escaping me. I can picture the guy, but I can't think of his name. Um, Derek White, excuse me. Thank you, uh, Derek White. Maybe one of these guys will just have a big game because that's that's typically what happens for the Celtics in the playoffs. Even even years and years past, uh, I remember that series against the Wizards, you know, five or six years ago, and you know, um, Terry Rozier just freaked out. Had an amazing game. Uh, and then, you know, when we were kids, it was the James Posey game or the Eddie House game. I mean, so that's what happens with the Celtics in the playoffs. And so I would expect that you're definitely going to get big games out of your big stars. Um, and I think I think game four will be will be a big boy test. Right. Like, how is this team? How is Missoula? How do they battle adversity in the playoffs? Um, and so that's what I'd like to see happen. All right. 
Bruins. Game one, I thought they beat the crap out of the Panthers physically. But I still thought the Panthers had a really, really good game and still had a chance to win. But I thought if the Bruins play that way, which is pretty good, pretty physical, but not their best, and they're still able to win 3-1, to one, then they, they shouldn't have a problem winning the series. Then game two happened. And they got absolutely pantsed. And I thought, okay. So Lions was able to rebound because he had a bad game in net for the Panthers in game one. Thought, okay. Then the Bruins looked horrible in the neutral zone in game two. Turned the puck over every time they had it. Krejci looked slow. They're not, they've been playing without Bergeron, who's not expected back for game five. And you thought, oh my goodness, what's going to, what are we going to do? There's a little bit of panic going about. I was, and then I was on pins and needles for game three, knowing that Bergeron wasn't playing. The lineup looked out of whack. And then at Puck Drop, we realized that Krejci wasn't going to be playing either. And so you're like, okay, now you're down two centermen. You know, you got Felino playing center. You got Frederick playing center. You got Nosek and Coyle. Um, you know, what Zaka, I mean, what are we going to do? Then they played in game three, and they absolutely dominated the Panthers in the first and second period, and for most of the third period. Until, of course, the last five minutes of the game where they almost broke up the lead. And so I guess this is a long way of saying is this series has been a roller coaster. The Panthers definitely have belief, especially getting Sam Bennett back in game two. I think that made all the difference for them offensively. For the Bruins, you almost get this sense that the game has to start well for them or else they're going to get some sort of doubt, right? Like the game didn't start well for them in game two. And there's sort of this doubt that crept in and maybe this belief that there was a lot of pressure on them or that maybe they could just pull it out of their ass in the third period. And that wasn't able to happen. They had a lot of turnovers. Then in game three, they got up four, nothing. And then there was this human nature aspect of, Oh, well we can close the game out next thing. You know, it's four to two. And, and they're really just lucky to escape out of that without having to go to overtime. And so I get this sense that the, the, the series is such a roller coaster that if you're a Bruins fan, what do we expect today? Now, obviously, if you're watching after today uh, or listening after today, you know how this outcome goes. But to be quite frank, I don't know what to expect. Can this lineup work again for a second consecutive game? You know, where we don't have... We don't have Krejci and we don't have Bergeron again that I know of. Definitely not Bergeron. So so what do we expect as we head toward, you know, puck drop? Is Taylor Hall going to have another strong game? Is Charlie Poyle going to have another strong game? How's Bertuzzi going to look? Um, what are the turnovers going to look like? Who's going to be paired up with whom on D? I think there's a lot of questions. I think if they can get Bergeron back, it's almost like the the nectar of the gods. Right, like it, it could heal a lot of the questions that we have about this team right now in the first part of the series. I still think the Bruins win this series. I think they win it in six. I would not be surprised if they lose today, win in game five, and then go back to Florida and take care of business in game six. I think that was my prediction at the beginning of the series, so I think that's what I'm going to stick with. So time will tell. Obviously, if you're listening after the fact, you'll know. Um, but I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was quicker than normal. I rifled through a lot of topics. You guys may or may not agree with me about sports gambling, but that's fine. Um, I'd love to hear what you think about 
the expansion franchises in both the NBA and Major League Baseball. And if neither the Bruins game today or the Celtics game in game four goes well, then maybe we can have some fan therapy about those either. Or excuse me, as well. So that's going to do it for this episode of Home Field Advantage. We'll be back next week. I plan on talking some Red Sox. We'll see where they're at in another week. Um, Chris Sale had a great outing this week, which is great considering I heard that um, he was too old and he sucks um, and he can't stay on the field. Um, So that's great. Uh, The Red Sox seem to be treading water. So I plan on talking about them next week. I'll be able, I'll I'll actually have a chance to see them up close in person uh, next week. So that's where I'll, that's where I'll begin. And then who knows? We'll know the outcome probably of both the Bruins and the Celtics series by then. So we'll uh, probably digest a little bit of that too. But until next time, I hope you guys all have a great rest of your week. Please follow us online on our socials at HomeFieldPod on Instagram and Twitter. And drop below and subscribe to us here on YouTube as well as via audio wherever you get your podcasts. Well, after you do all that, I hope you have a great rest of your week. Of your week. You've been listening to the newest episode of Home Field Advantage. If you liked this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite provider, including Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Be sure to check out some of our other programs on the Sportland USA Podcast Network, including Making Fire, a Survivor Podcast, Filling Up with Kyle Diesel, and the Deergo Daily News. All these programs are produced independently under the Sportland USA Podcast Network, and the views expressed on them do not reflect those of any other company, outlet, person, or entity.